0: Listening to the Traditional Outdoors podcast.
1: This episode of the Traditional Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Java Man Archery, building traditional bows since 1994. Java Man offers 12 models of hybrid longbows and recurves, featuring accuracy-enhancing forward handles as well as Asiatic-inspired models. Greg Coffey's forte is short hunting bows that pull unusually smoothly, even with longer draw lengths. Greg's custom bows can be ordered in a variety of configurations, from plain to fancy, including hand-carved functional art in the riser. He offers all of his models in one-piece or two-piece takedowns using the Bow Bolt system. Now, Greg's newest model developed in May of 2018, the Impala longbow, is available in lengths of 64 to 70 inches. And the Impala meets IFAA regulations for serious competitors on the target course. Now, I got to meet Greg in person earlier this year and spent a good bit of time talking with him. He's knowledgeable, easy to talk to, and just seems to be an all-around great guy. If you're thinking about a new bow, be sure to consider Java Man Archery and give Greg a call. And be sure to tell him you heard about Java Man Archery on this podcast. You can learn more about Greg's bows, place an order, or obtain contact information on his website at www.javamanarchery.com. Now on to the show. All right, man. How is it going, Nick? Oh, it's going good, Steve. One step closer to hunting season, and we've
0: got a great guest this week. A very surprising guest, actually
1: we, we do. And it's actually someone that it was probably when, when I decided to do the podcast and started thinking about people I would want to have on the, on the show as guests, this gentleman was probably within the first two that, that came to mind. Um, and you know, we get into some of this with him during the, the interview, but this guy is probably where I learned, you know 80 percent of what i learned about hunting when i was younger up until i got my first you know two or three deer with a bow this, this is the guy that was that i was listening to and was teaching me so yeah i'm i'm pretty pumped up about it and it, i think it comes i think it comes through in the recording yeah you fanboyed a little bit but i mean and i and but hey
0: he's you know i'm actually kind of ashamed of myself that i never heard of him um but well i, I had heard of him i heard i have heard it heard his name before and i'd seen him in some videos but I didn't really know who he was. And I guess that's just the difference in age between you and I and the generational difference. Um, I didn't, and I wasn't hunting then either. So, you know, until uh, you stumble across somebody on YouTube you know, nowadays, you might not know who they are. But, um, but
1: that's right. And I've, you know, I, I I bought a couple of videos and got them over to you so you could at least, you know, know who we were talking to. But uh,
0: oh, and they were cool. They were worth every bit of it that I watched. I mean, it's ahead of, ahead of its time, really. In my opinion,
1: it was, um, and a lot of people, well, there's a lot of people that's going to know, um, who Paul Brunner is. And, and, you know, he's, he started out about the same time as the the Wenzels and was doing some of the same very cool stuff as the Wenzels. In fact, they, they know each other and hunt together. And, um, for me, it was just, it was more about, he took the time to, to explain things, I guess, even early on. And, And for someone who didn't have anybody to, to go and talk to, you know, that was, that was a big deal. So, you know, growing up, I just, like I said, I watched everything the, the guy put out and, and, and just, you know, even to this day, I go back and pull those videos out and watch them cause I just, I really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, and rightly so super charismatic guy, just, you know, it, it really harkens back to when, when hunting videos were hunting videos. I mean, he, he's just, he's he's one of a kind i mean just funny and i think you all are really going to enjoy it and laugh and you know it's 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 really is something else i enjoyed it i enjoyed it immensely it was it was very special
1: and that said i do um because and and this is really one of my little quirks here but because i'm such a perfectionist i i feel like i do have to um just kind of preface this with um Paul is um in his mid seventies um he's he's uh had some issues with his hearing, so we had to record this with paul on a on his cell phone using a speakerphone so there's there's a little bit of echo in the audio um uh, but it's it's not bad, and he definitely comes through uh really well and uh, you know, because of, because of that and, and just the fatigue of sitting and trying to hear a cell phone, you know, I tried to keep this a little bit shorter than some of our interviews. So I think this one is somewhere right around an hour, but it is, in my opinion, just an hour of, it's a gem of an hour. I'll just leave it at that. It was really a lot of fun. Hmm. Agreed. So should we get into it? I say we let people, let people hear and, and decide for themselves. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. Folks, here he is, Mr. Paul Bruner. Well, I tell you what, I'm uh, I'm about as excited as as I could be. Um, in fact, my my daughter has been giving me a, a hard time all week. I guess the the teenage phrase now for for what I've been doing is called fanboy, um, because our <laughs> our guest tonight is is something kind of special for me. I uh, I reached out to this gentleman. A few years back, actually, by email, I kind of tracked him down through uh, the Trad Gang forum. And we've traded a few emails back and forth over the years. I've never actually met him. But uh, as I've said on the the show a couple of times, nobody in my family really hunted. And I was just kind of drawn to it from an early age. So I had to get out there and kick and scratch and, and try to learn things on my own. And the gentleman joining this us this evening is probably uh responsible for me learning more during those first five, six years than than pretty much anybody else. So it's kind of a big deal to me and I'm just gonna go ahead and say uh hello and welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Bruner. Uh, otherwise known as Too Short, he keeps telling me.
2: You're glad to be here.
1: Well we are we are sure glad to have you. So um uh, like I said, I kind of, I kind of got to know you through the, the, the early days of, of hunting videos back in the the late eighties and early nineties and, and, and bought your, uh, your, your book, the, the tree stand hunting. And that, again, i I've read that thing till about wore the pages out, but, uh, I guess Paul, if you don't mind, let's just jump in here and, and why don't you tell us you know, kind of how and when you got started with traditional bow hunting way back in the day.
2: Yeah, um, when I was 14, my mom shot a whitetail buck with a bear recurve bow. And that just, <laughs> that was it. That's all I could think about. Um, I still have a box of bear arrows with the broadheads and an extra bowstring. And the price on it was nine ninety five. So that was, uh, wow. let's see, a long time ago. I'm 75 now. So I uh, just I be- I just badgered my mom and dad, because my mom was the one who shot a buck, but my dad was also hunting with a bow, and they got me my first bow the Christmas that I was 14, and that's what I've been doing ever since. I've done some gun hunting, and uh, I gave that up i think the last time i shot anything with a rifle other than coyotes and prairie dogs would have been 1974
1: wow that's yeah that's uh i i I think i actually kind of got into bow hunting around 83 uh when i was when i turned 16 so uh Oh, that's a lot of, that's a lot of years ago now. Paul, how did that, how did that kind of lead into, you know, the, the, uh, the hunting videos and, and the books and so forth? What, I guess what kind of led you, you know, in that path?
2: Well, uh, you know, I, I saw some early hunting videos and frankly, I was pretty disgusted because it was just blood arrows passing through run it back again slow it down uh, there were some terrible shots made of the films but everybody said oh that was right through the lungs and at the same time a friend of mine who used to come to our ranch to photograph whitetails in the winter got a video camera so one thing led to another and we videoed just a few shots out in the woods we catch a big buck on film and I'd be in a tree stand and shoot a buck, and he'd film it. And you know, one thing led to another. He wanted to do some hunting videos, and I was hesitant, uh, but I went along with it when he and his uh, editing partner agreed that I would have total editing power, and it wasn't going to be kill shots. I wanted the videos to be very, very informative as well as entertaining. And if I remember right, I think we made 14 hunting videos, about 10 or 11 hunting videos, and then some this-is-how-you-do-it videos. And it's worked out really well, because everything was done in good taste, and I've had an awful lot of people call me or email me and say, I really learned a lot from the videos, and that was my goal.
1: And and it obviously worked, because like I said, that's that was really what drew me to the videos. It was, and, and I will, you know, as I've said before, I started out with a compound. Uh, it was a birthday gift from my dad. That's, you know, kind of, he, he went and bought what somebody told him and I didn't know any different at the time, but, um, I just remember watching the videos and, and it was, it was different in the way that you said, it wasn't like you were trying to sell, sell something and it wasn't about you were trying to glorify the kill it was really about um educating and the experience and that was kind of a big deal even for me back in those days it was it was more about the experience than anything else
2: well that's what we that's why we did it we strived for that and i think we were successful
0: now, Paul, how'd you go about filming those things in the early days? Did you uh, did you kind of just have like did you script them out with like a talking point of what you wanted to accomplish, or or did you kind of just kind of kind of get in front of the camera and go with it? I'm always curious about these things when people do hunting videos because I know how difficult they can be, and and I work at um I work in film at work, and and it's 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 never as easy as it appears to be.
2: <laughs> well, we never had a written script. But my cameraman, Ed Wolf, was uh, a veterinarian, and this was his big hobby. And he's a hunter, uh, not a bow hunter. So we went out, and he suggested setting up here. I said, no, we need to set up over there. And at some point he said, well, why don't you explain why you want to set up over there? And it led to a lot of experimenting. Um, In one of our videos we took an army smoke grenade and put it in a tree stand that was 16 feet off the ground and filmed how far the scent stream went before it dropped down where a deer could smell it. And that proved for the first time to me that I could actually be on the downwind or upwind side of the trail and still get a shot without a buck blowing out. These are things that we did. We, you know, we just talked hunting and said, "Well, let's put that in. Let's, let's explain why we do this. Let's teach them how to hunt with scrapes or how to make mock scrapes." And that's they, basically that's the way it all came together.
0: So his uh, his prompting kind of kind of led you guys down the path you wanted to go and brought up some good questions and stuff like that. Because sometimes, if you, I mean, if you're a hunter and you're seasoned, you probably you just don't think about that kind of stuff. So that's kind of neat that you had a had somebody to help you along that way with, uh, with that.
2: Yeah. He knew the camera work and what would look good and sound good. And I knew the hunting part of it from a a bow hunter standpoint. And we just blended the two together. We worked really well together. I did 14 films.
1: And I'll be honest, Paul, even, even though I've, I've watched a lot of these, uh, a lot of your videos over the years, I think I've, you know, a lot of those were, were VHS and VHS has a shelf life and most of them are gone. I know the ones that I've been able to pick up that were actually produced DVDs, I still have. Um, And I do remember the, I don't remember the video it was in, but I do remember the one with the, the smoke grenade. Um, And that was also, I think that may have been the same one where you were demonstrating the, the tree stand failures. I can't remember.
2: Yeah, neither can I. <laughs> it's quite a long time ago, but probably was. Um, and I'd have to actually go back through and w- re-watch some of the films. But, you know, that was meant to be a real whitetail teaching film.
1: And I I wished I could remember because I'm, I'm sitting here trying. One of the favorites that I had um, was actually just a little 30-minute in fact uh, I can tell you there wasn't a single hunting scene in the entire video um and I'm pretty sure that was the one that had the um and I think it was something like hunting white tail deer or how to hunt white tail deer or something like that, but it had the the smoke grenade it had the demonstrating the tree stand failure it had one of my absolute favorite um demonstrations that you ever did with the um the, the cut-on contact broadheads and the elk, the tanned elk hide. Um, yeah. So and and some other things. So for for those that might not have seen that uh, video, do you remember that? Do you remember that demonstration that you did?
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, we were using a uh, muzzy head, and John Musakia and I used to hunt together. And after we used that head to demonstrate it, uh, we didn't speak together again. (laughs) Wasn't my choice. (laughs) But you know, the first ones that came out that he produced, they were duller than a hoe. And I did the same same test with other broadheads, and almost all of them didn't even come close. Well, none of them came close at that time to uh, just using a regular T blade regular point
1: head now for for nick and everybody listening what what uh what two shorts talking about is this the test that he did was um and I if I remember correctly they were carbon arrows and you had placed a um a a replaceable blade um i think it was a three blade broadhead on the end of an arrow stood it on the end of a table and took a piece of, of elk leather and stop just before breaking that carbon shaft by applying pressure to the point. And it never, I think it left a, a dimple that you could barely see in the leather and then replace that with the same arrow with a cut on contact two blade and proceeded to slide it across the, basically through that, that elk leather with just your finger, index finger and thumb. It was, it was pretty impressive back even back then.
2: Yeah, and the first time I did it, I was just as shocked. I mean, that really was a very good visual aid.
1: Did um did you ever so everything I've ever seen you shooting, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but did you ever venture into shooting uh compound or modern bow at all, or did you just pretty much always stick to the recurve and longbow?
2: I had the first compound ever sold in Montana. Uh, And I hunted in British Columbia with it for stone sheep and mountain goat. And I shot a caribou in Alaska with it. And I threw it away. I didn't even give it away. I just tossed it. (laughs) It was so (laughs) limiting. You know, it just, well, Paul Schaefer and I went on this uh, British Columbia sheep hunt. And I had two Jennings compounds, and both of them broke. And Schaefer built me one bow out of the two. And that was it. When I got home, I got, uh, I got to meet John. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on this. Howard Hill's protege. Uh, uh, Schultz. And, uh, yeah, John Schultz. Thanks. Um, and I went up to his bow-making facility, and he handed me a long bow and taught me a few things and the next thing i knew, i shot a silver dollar out of the air so i was done man <laughs> uh, that that was the first traditional bow i bought after my old recurse.
1: very cool very cool and i knew you had i knew that you knew uh paul um and i'm trying to remember i know there's there's a lot of different people that you you had in the videos um i think probably My favorite in the ones that, you know, that I remember watching was, um, Tom Storm. Um, in fact, I have his book as well, but, uh, the decoying thing for me never really, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure it's, it's definitely a, a a positive experience, but it's just not something I ever really had much of a desire to try was the, the decoying. But I know that was something that, that he was fanatical about.
2: You know, it really works. Um, he and I have a small lease in Missouri, and we're both taking our decoys with us this year. Uh, well, I've had so many attacks and have deer just walk right up, and they're not paying any attention to anything else. It's a really great way to do it. But, you know, in the beginning, nobody used a buck decoy. They all used does, lying down, standing up, and uh, too tall, Tom Storm is the guy who came up with the buck decoy.
1: And I remember the first that the, the video footage, and it was probably the very first video footage ever caught of a, of a, a buck attacking a buck decoy. And it was, it was pretty sensational. I mean, it, he wasn't playing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was very sensational. And he threw the buck up in the air. And I've had the same thing happen since. Uh, But, you know, I had quit filming, I think, about the time that uh, we sold Screaming Eagle and I decided to just go hunting.
0: You know, I always thought about using a decoy, but everybody always told me that in Michigan, if you use a decoy, just end up going home on the top of somebody's station wagon or in the back of a pack of a ranger (laughs) and not to stand anywhere behind it or anywhere near it. <laughs> but,, yeah, uh, you
2: do have to be a little careful, but I try really hard to hunt on somebody's private ground and has a ranch. you know we have a cattle rancher for thirty years, so I could go on to any neighbor's place and they would just say, "We won't let anybody in while you're hunting and I didn't have to worry about that
1: right,
0: Gotcha, most so, of the places but, i I have around here are all public, but uh what what were you going to say, Paul? Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I said I cut you off. What were you gonna say?
2: Oh, I'm all done. <laughs> Go well. on. <for> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry. All right. Um. Well, you just mentioned Scream and Eagle. Uh, how did that come about? You know, the stands, the scent control, the clothing, all that stuff. And I, I watched the Scream and Eagle video, and or one of them, and and it, it was entertaining. I really enjoyed it, and you know, thought you were great on camera. But I thought you you might want to talk about that a little bit.
2: Well, I used to use uh, the old lock-on lem stands, and I was hunting in the Ovando archery area, which is an area that's bow hunting only because it's very flat, it's a lot of cattle ranches. And so I had my lock-ons up and the temperature got down to 30 below, and it would snow and then it would just freeze to the platform. And every time I tried to move to get a shot, you know, there'd be a creak or a pop. And so I have a really, really close friend who owned a real good welding shop. And I went to him and I drew a few lines and I said, this is what I want. But I want a platform that will fold up and that will let snow or rain or whatever go through it when it's down. And so we played around with it. We made the first stand, I think, out of plumbing pipe. Uh, I still have it somewhere. And we just kept improving and improving. And I don't know what happened, but, you know, Gene Winsell came up to the ranch to hunt with me, Gene and Barry both. And uh, I had one of the working models. And Gene looked at it and he says, it's "Not not going to work. The seat's too high. And i put him in one and he came back at the end of the day and he said, I want some of those stands. (laughs) So that's what started it. Uh, And he said, don't lower the seat. It's perfect. So it's just stuff like that. And once we were building the stands and selling them, I thought, you know, there's so many things that I wish I could have for bow hunting that nobody has. And so one of the examples, um, There's a company in New Zealand that was making phenomenal wool clothing, and they had it in camouflage pattern. So I went to them and said, can you make it in any camouflage pattern? Sure. And uh, it's called Swanee. The company is Swan Dry, and their wool is the tightest woven wool you can buy. They weave it, they steam it, and shrink dry it and then they build the garments and i did some testing with another brand of wool that uh, was selling quite well and what i did was i hung a piece of the wool from one company over a fan and then hung a feather in front of it on a piece of dental floss and i'm not going to mention the other company's name but um, had a little royalty in it if that helps and the feather just went straight out. So then I put the swanee material on there, and the feather never even moved. So I had a perfect wind resistant, keep you warm wool clothing, wouldn't make any noise when you moved in it. And then all of a sudden I started thinking, yeah, these other, stuff. boy, I could use one of these. I could use one of those. Um, and then I started thinking about writing a tree stand hunting book, which I did. And then I wrote a game cookbook and just kept going.
1: And I must admit, the the only one of yours that I have read is um, the tree stand hunting book. I haven't read the others, so I'll have to start scrounging eBay to see if I can see if I can come up with the others. But and I believe that uh, uh, Swan Dry Company is still in business, last I looked.
2: They are, but they don't like make camouflage anymore at all, and they've actually cut way down on functional New Zealand clothing for sheep farmers. And they're making a lot more sweaters and checkered shirts and stuff. And they at the at the very end of Screaming Eagle, they wouldn't make any more camo and send the wool over, so or make the garment there and send it over. So, that's basically why it's not available
1: anymore. But now, the uh, and I didn't know this until you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago that um, Screaming Eagle is actually still in business and you can still buy those stands. Now, I just have to ask you, have the stands changed at all since, since you were making them or are they still pretty much exactly like they were back in the day?
2: They're exactly like they were. I mean, it's pretty hard to beat something that was that good. Uh, you may have seen the ads we had in the magazine where we had a Volkswagen hanging off the stand.
1: I do and I actually I owned one for a while and somebody decided to, they liked it too much and I lost it. But, <laughs> uh and the you know this the funny thing is you mentioned the lock ons, you know, they've been out of business a long time and I still actually now my preference is to buy the spirit, the the yeah, the lock on spirit, which is the uh, it's the all aluminum. It doesn't have the plastic, so it it won't creak like that. But uh, I grew up maybe uh, I don't know thirty minute drive from from where those stands were were made, and then somebody bought them and they were going to start making them again out of Ohio or something, and that just for whatever reason never happened. Um, I heard it was because of liability insurance, but I don't I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's an issue.
1: Now we had also um, I had also talked to you. One of the other things that that you uh, used to market was the, aside from the clothing, and I do remember the clothing and the, the um, I forget what you called them, Paul. But it was the hand mittens. But um, the the pit the stop, boogers. the woolly boogers. That's I should have known that Named woolly boogers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that a fly? <laughs> a, a famous fly fishing fly.
2: Well, you know the Australians call sheep woolly boogers. And I, I came up with this idea because my hands just froze in this 20, 30 below zero weather. And then I got this crazy idea after I sewed a few pairs by hand. Let's go talk to a patent attorney in Spokane, Washington. Well, I went over there, and really nice guy. But he said, you can't patent something like this. So I showed him that the glove was wider or the mitt was wider at the bottom and narrower at the top so that you kept the heat in. And you had to use unshorn sheep hide. Next thing I know, he calls and says, we got a patent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, gonna... I still sew my own. Nobody's making them now, but I still sew my own if I wear a pair out or if I have a friend that needs some. I just sit down and hand stitch
1: them. All right, we may have to, we may have to exchange some emails on that later, Paul, but uh, I, was gonna, <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to, uh, and we don't get, we don't get that kind of cold here in, in Georgia often, but, uh, I did spend several days in the stand last year, you know, below, in, the, down into the teens. And if you're used to the weather here, that's, that's pretty debilitating when it's in the teens here. But, uh, I know you also had the, uh, um, The the pit stop deodorant, which now I can't remember if you, I know that, I don't think that specific brand is available, but you can still buy deodorant that's basically made with the same uh, uh, active ingredient, if you want to call it that, that made that pit stop effective. Um, So there might be some people that actually want to hear that because I actually spent a good bit of time researching it to actually figure out what it was and find companies that still make that.
2: Well, it's an interesting story about how it was developed. Uh, There was a doctor, Halaba, and he was Jewish and he was in Russia. And the Russian government got him to make an unscented deodorant that would really help with underarm odor, because the Russian troopers did not have showers. It, It was pretty primitive. Well, Dr. Lava came up with it and I actually met one of his top people in New Jersey and he did not let the Russians know that he had figured it out and he was able to get out of Russia and he moved to Israel and that deodorant is called Labalin for his name Halava and you can still buy lavalin in health food stores and we, we met the I guess, the United States guy in New Jersey, uh, and we were, got permission to call it Pit Stop and put our own labels on it. Um, oddly enough, I don't use it anymore. As I've gotten older, I don't sweat as much, but uh, lots of people have asked me, how can I get some? It's amazing stuff. I, I used to put it on. I used to foot formula for my armpits, stronger, and I used to get about 22 days between applications.
1: Yeah, and I remember you saying that in, in the video when you were talking about it. It's the reason I actually tried it, and this was many years ago. And uh, I still, I don't use it year-round, but once it starts getting closer to hunting season, I actually, that's what I start using. And the main reason I don't use it year-round is it's really pretty expensive. Um, yeah. But it works. it works really well. Paul, who yeah. came up with who came up with these names? The
0: marketer in the room wants to know. These names are awesome.
1: Well,
2: um, I've been a salesman all my life. And I don't know, I mean, if your armpits smell uh kit stop. And <laughs> woolly burgers is what they were. You know, we had a tree stand we called the centerfold, and that was not what I wanted to name it. I wanted to call it the crotch grabber, but my <laughs> my people would do it.
0: Oh, I think you should have.
2: <laughs> you hang around Gene and Barry Wenzel for very long. Believe me, you can come up with some pretty nasty stuff.
1: So uh, I I, I got to ask that question. So how how far how far back does that relationship go? Um, too short i mean you you've obviously known those guys a pretty good while at this point
2: i met gene when i was coming back from alaska the first year i hunted up there was a bow uh, would have been probably 1972 maybe and in those days you could carry your bow right on the plane and he saw it and he, he knew what a compound was um uh, And we started talking and found out that he lived 50 miles from Missoula and I lived 50 miles the other way. And he found out we had a ranch with a lot of big white tails on it. I think that might have been maybe one of the most important things for him. And I don't know, one thing led to another. and Gene and Barry and I hunted together for years and years.
1: That's very cool. I knew you had, and I think you've actually done some video stuff um, with them as well, correct? Say it again? I, I said, I think you've actually, the you and the Winsels have actually produced some video content together as well, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gene was in several of the videos. I uh, can't remember if Barry was or not. Um, but, yeah, uh, we did a lot of filming with them both there. I just don't know which footage was used.
1: Yeah. And that's the, that's the bad part is like I said, I think there's only like four of the videos available on DVD and that's, I'm trying to think street smart bucks, high noon bucks, um, white tail encounters and trying to remember what, Oh, bad Madison for big bucks. That's, that's the only ones I know of that you can still get on DVD and still find, um, unless you just happen to, Find an old VHS tape that somebody might have on eBay or something. I, I, I'm I'm not sure. I don't know of any other ones that um, Stony Wolf released as DVD. Um,
2: well, I went. Uh, I took all my uh, cassettes into a d- studio uh, just outside of Missoula, and I had them all turned into DVDs. And when people get a hold of me and say, do you have a VDD, DVD of uh, Archery Elk the Dream Hunt, for example? I say, sure. And I'll tell him, I don't know, 15 bucks for shipping in the DVD and send it to him. And every once in a while, I have the guy in uh, Lolo right outside of town
1: just produce some more. Okay, uh-huh. well, yeah, we're definitely going to be having some additional conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're giving away all your secrets here, man.
0: <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, Paul, have you ever thought for uh, for us younger bucks out there that someday you'll just release all those again, or somebody will, or or as like a set? That'd be that'd be pretty cool to have for a guy like me.
2: You know, since I sold Screaming Eagle and and stopped filming. I've had more fun than I ever had before because I'm hunting just for myself.
1: That honestly makes a lot of sense. And I am going to use that as a great segue to shift gears, Paul. And let's, let's talk, let's talk about some, let's talk about some hunting and fishing because you know, I, 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 I know you've, you've done a lot of hunting and there's a couple of, couple of specific things I want to I kind of ask you about some of that, but I guess the first thing I'd have to ask you is, you know what's your favorite what's your favorite animal to pursue?
2: <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: That's okay.
2: <laughs> well, in September, it's elk. <laughs> in October or November, it's white tails. <laughs> if I'm sheep hunting it's sheep. I mean, I just love them all, but I think a huge bull elk screaming his brains out just makes me come unglued. It's just amazing. Last fall, I was set up in an ambush situation behind two small junipers, and being short is good because I could hide behind them. (laughs) And I had a bunch of elk coming past me to go down into some alfalfa fields and they were 15 yards on a trail. I set it up beautifully and then here came a hog over the hill. All I could see was horn tips and he was screaming and a whole bunch of cows and he was pushing them and one of them decided not to go down a trail It decided to walk over the top of me. And I was Real nervous because the bull followed her. Later on, I measured him. where my tracks were and where his were. He came by me at six feet.
1: Oh, wow. Field.
2: Jeez. And I wore hearing aids, and they both shut off. <laughs> 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 and at, you know six feet, I couldn't draw my bow, even though I was hidden. But I could have taken the longbow I was shooting and reached out and whacked him with it. And he turned, followed the cow, and they both turned again, and I shot him at six yards. That is just amazing excitement, just amazing.
1: And, and uh, yeah, I've, and I'll be honest, your your answer does not surprise me one bit because, so I, I will tell you one thing that, that irritates me, and, and as far as the hunting video scene today, and I, I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me a minute, you know, the the, the gripping grins is what people have started calling them. I don't necessarily have a problem with that because, you know, it's an accomplishment a lot of times to get some of these animals, especially if you're hunting with a bow. But the, 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 the shouting, the hollering, the high-fiving, some of that stuff, you know, that stuff I do not get. But watching you back in the day again and a lot of the people that were with you on some of those videos – you could tell the excitement was there, but at the same time you had the respect for the animal that it was a controlled excitement, I guess is the best way I can pronounce it. But you could just tell every time you were on cloud nine and it it just kind of exuded from you and your personality that you were just really having a lot of fun. Now, Tell everybody you said you and you said earlier you're 75 years old and you you shared something with me last week when we were on the phone. Um how many elk hunts are you doing this year?
2: Uh, I got 3 tags this year.
1: <laughs> and and that's in three different states.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: So you'll be you I think it was uh New Mexico, Montana, and I forget the other one. Wyoming. Wyoming. Wow that uh, I, and I believe after you told me that that night I told my wife, I just hope and pray I'm still able to get out of the bed and and manage to tie my own shoes when I turn 75 much less be able to go and and chase elk in three different states that's man that's that's just amazing i, I yeah I don't know what else to say that's just that's true truly that says to me how much it means to you
2: well, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of luck of the draw. Uh, my mom and dad were both very, very fit all their lives. Uh, my mom lived to be 87 and I just stay in shape and I just go, uh, you know, I'll cover an average elk day, cover 15 to 16, 17 miles and I feel like I'm forty. My wife says the only problem is I act like I'm fourteen. So it's uh, it's keeping
0: it's keeping you young, then, Paul, huh? I mean, yeah. I mean, now is this a normal thing? I mean, do you do you shoot? I mean, do you do like three hunts a year like that? Like three elk hunts a year, or try to? Or I mean, what's your average amount of hunts you do a year these days?
2: Well, I always do two because I was getting a tag in Montana every year and uh, then I able to buy a landowner permit in New Mexico and this year I drew the Wyoming tag one year I had three tags i got New Mexico Montana and California for tule elk oh, okay. i had I've had quite a few years when I didn't kill an elk simply because I just didn't find one I wanted
0: Gotcha. And that's, Go ahead. Oh no, that's what I was going to say. Gotcha. So the um, the elk hunting then. So you're you're hunting elk every year, and you're are you are you going out of state to hunt whitetails at all, or uh, and doing things like that too, or hunting any other game anywhere else?
2: Yeah, I've hunted Ohio, uh, Iowa, Georgia. Oh, let me think here. Alabama. uh, Of course, I've hunted uh, Wyoming. I've hunted, uh, let me think some more. I've hunted up in British Columbia and Alberta for white tails.
1: Pennsylvania.
2: Uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, when I was younger. I mean, any place I can find a white tail to hunt, I'll try to do it. I'm, I'm hunting in Missouri this year. Uh, my buddy too tall and I have got a lease there and just, just, if I can find whitetails to hunt, my biggest problem was we sold our ranch and it was loaded with big whitetails. Uh, we had photographs of the buck. We called the boss and everybody says it's the largest whale, wild, wild whitetail ever photographed. We had photos from three years of it. Nobody ever got him. Uh, now with the ranch gone, I don't have a place to hunt unless I lease because otherwise it's just, you get overrun.
1: Gotcha. Well, I'm actually, in fact, I'm, I was getting some of my gear squared away. I'm, I'm headed to Wyoming at the end of this month. We, we tried to draw elk tags, but we came up shorthanded. So we're, we're going to be hunting uh mule deer in the, in the bighorns. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's just my second, my second hunt in Wyoming. And I fell in love with the state a couple of years ago when I went, so I can't, I can't wait to get back. Um, now, Paul, and I know you've, I've seen uh, photos. You've also hunted some um, much larger animals. Uh, I don't know if the photo that you sent me, was I think it was, was it a Cape Buffalo or an Asiatic?
2: That was a Cape Buffalo. That's
1: what I thought. Um, So, the reason I thought it was that, and I'm not going to give too much information away here on you, but the first part of your the first part of your email address, I got to know the story behind the first part of your email address because <laughs> Mrs. Kudu is just there's a yeah there's a story there, and I got to hear it.
2: <laughs> well, it's a funny story. Uh, my son, lad, and I are best friends. And he's just a character, got a great sense of humor.
1: Imagine that. (laughs) I I told
2: him I told him I'm never gonna get on the internet and I'm never gonna have a cell phone. (laughs) Well, (laughs) push came to shove and he said, Dad, you need a cell phone. Okay. So I got a cell phone and he said, Now you gotta have an email. I don't even know what email was. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a dinosaur. So he says, I'm setting you up with email. And he said, "Uh, your email address is mrs. Kudu at earthlink.net. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a girl. I'm a guy. (laughs) And he said, no, dad. (laughs) It's Mrs. Kudu. And that came from the fact that my first trip to Africa, have you ever heard of the purple honkies? No. no. <laughs> you don't? Okay. Let me describe the purple honky. I had them with elk. I had them with elk for a while, and I really had them with two What happens is you see the animal, and you know you have to pick a spot, and you know you have to do everything right, and then one eye goes west and the other one goes east, and tears run down your face. You drool not run out your nose and you shoot six (laughs) feet over his back oh man i missed 11 bull kudu in three weeks oh no oh no (laughs) oh my knees would knock i mean i'd shake i couldn't even talk (laughs) so finally i killed my first bull elk by by just clenching my muscles and forcing and then I finally got my first bull kudu and then it's fine.
1: Wow. Yeah that was yeah, that that's pretty <laughs> special. <laughs> so where did the
0: purple honkies come from? <laughs> you know,
2: I think I invented the term just trying to describe what I right.
1: <laughs> oh, that man. is priceless. So uh, now now Paul, uh God, I've got so many things. I just got so many things I want to ask you to talk to you about, but uh I, I gotta get a little entry here for Nick because Nick is a recently I don't know, it's not the word converted is not the he he's a a, a recent transfer into the world of fly fishing. Um I got him I actually through this podcast, Nick's Nick is hooked. So I know you spend a good a bit, good amount of time each year living in New Zealand, and that sounds like that might be your favorite pastime while you're there. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, um, it's it's unbelievable, um, and we usually go for about five months. We live in a fifth wheel trailer and uh, have a GMC. It was pickup that was towing it that was converted to right hand drive and. We just go from campground to campground, and the trout over there are big they're nowhere near as many trout as you'd find in Montana or Wyoming, but I catch hardly any under four pound.
0: oh wow that's a it's a huge trout
2: and there's a lot of rivers and a lot of streams and since Redford made that horrible movie, a river runs through it um, <laughs> You know there are a lot more Americans fishing over there, but I find the out-of- the- way streams, and I'll find a, a particular spot, and if I don't see boot tracks, it's it goes right on my list of favorites. And I've had days where I caught ten
0: fish over six pounds. Oh wow. So how do you like to how do you like to fish them, Paul? Say it again. How do you like to fish them? Are you a dry fly guy? Are you like streamers? Or, or what, what do you like to do?
2: Well, my preference is dry flies, particularly small ones. Um, and I do all my own fly tying. I use a lot of streamers, leeches, and stuff like that when I'm fishing in a lake out of a float tube. And I use nymphs when I have to. But, you know, when you get over there, you spot and stalk fish. You just don't fish. So I might go along a river, uh, and just in three beautiful pools, I might see one trout, but he's going to be six, seven, eight pounds Right. and they are mm-hmm. smart. They are really smart.
1: They don't get that big being dumb.
0: No. 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 And, uh, <laughs> so are you, you, are you doing a lot of, I, I'm not very familiar with fishing in New Zealand. I'm just kind of new to this whole thing, but are you doing, um, are there just smaller streams than over there mainly? Some of the
2: best streams I fish over there are 20 feet wide.
0: Oh, okay. So, not too tiny then. So, you're not any any of the little tributary, like what we call a brook trout stream or anything like that. You're all kind of.
2: Yeah, I mean, I fish these little spring creeks that might be four feet wide and they'll still have gaggers in them. <laughs>
0: Oh, gotcha. I, and I've always wanted to do that. I've, I've really wanted to find some good brook trout fishing around here in Michigan. Um, some smaller streams. I'm just, I'm, I'm only a couple months into this and I'm kind of doing one thing at a time right now. (laughs) But like Steve said, I'm fishing every chance I get, and I'm probably just making my wife crazy. And, uh, I'm kind of in the gear acclimation stage right now. (laughs) That's great. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned the uh a river runs through it too because I never so I saw the movie a long time ago when I wasn't interested in fishing at all. And um I thought it was a good movie, you know, and it didn't it didn't really make me want to fly fish, but I thought it looked cool. Now everybody who it's it feels like it's it's so polarizing. Like all the people who had been fishing before it hate it. And all the people who were fishing after it because of the movie think it's the greatest thing ever. But every time you go into a fly shop and you mention a river runs through it, everybody rolls their eyes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'll give you a little side about my feelings. Our ranch was on the Blackfoot River. We had four miles of river running through it, and we bought it in 1970 for next to nothing. And I fished that river all the time in the evenings catch four, five, six pound browns and rainbows. And when they made the movie, they didn't even film it on the Blackfoot River. they filmed it on the Gallatin River. And the next summer I was sitting out on a deck, which was right on on the river, typing a, an article for Bow hunter, yeah traditional Bowhunter magazine, and 84 rafts came by while I was typing. And I would say 50% of the people had the same hats and shirts as Brad Pitt had.
0: Oh, no. Okay, well, I, that's understandable now then.
2: You, I, you, know, my, you know what my first thought was when I saw that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> A nation of sheep. <laughs> and that's really, that's probably the prime reason we sold the ranch, because we had nothing but people problems, trespassing, uh, just, you know, it changed our lives. And New Zealand made up for it.
0: Well, and it's almost the opposite of what we've experienced with archery in the United States. Um, I mean, even with the Michigan Longbow Association, we noticed there was quite a spike after like the Hunger Games came out. and, And some of the other movies like that Disney movie, Brave and, and even the newer Robin Hood and things like that. Like, you know, kids were starting to want to shoot the bow again and we were all really, really excited about it, but it's like fly fishing. It's the river runs through it and it's the exact opposite. Like everybody just loathes it. (laughs) It's kind of an interesting deal. Um, I, I did want to ask you about TBM, Paul. I know you've published a few articles in there and it's funny. The first time Steve had told me that we were going to, we were, we got a chance to interview you. Um, I, I Google searched your name. And, uh, it, uh, it brought up a bunch of forum posts that says, where's Paul, where's Paul Brunner? What's he up to these days? Where'd he go? Uh And, uh, and everybody, you wouldn't believe the stuff that was on there. There was just all this stuff about, you know, people guessing what you were doing and things (laughs) of that nature. And, uh, they said, aside from the TBM article, you know, now and again, that you were just kind of enjoying yourself hunting. Um, and you mentioned that was one of the reasons why you, you kind of pulled back from it. And, um, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that a little bit more. Are you still writing for TBM every now and then, or are you just still, uh, kind of just enjoying doing your thing? Yeah. You know, I wrote an article,
2: I don't know, 10 or 12 months ago for TBS and, uh, or TBM. And if I come up with another one that I think would help people, sure. Um, you know, I'd like to write an article about big boned heavy animals and arrow weight and so on, but I'm not into physics. I just know that if you take a golf ball and a ping pong ball, which are the same size, and throw them into a snowdrift, I know which one's going in further.
0: <laughs> right. So That's great.
2: Yeah, I took physics when I was, I don't know,
0: 19.
2: 19- and after two weeks, the teacher told my dad I needed to do something else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Paul, and I, I'll be honest, I, you're, I, and I've always loved your sense of humor. I think it's 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 just uh it's just part of your personality that that kind of made you uh, want to do some of the things that you've done. But so Nick probably doesn't know this. Uh, Nick, do you know what? Uh, <laughs> do you know what? Two shorts. Uh, uh, screen ID is on trad game. No, <laughs> <laughs> the, the eighth dwarf. <laughs> that's awesome. And when I saw that, in fact, I will be honest when I first emailed you and again, I don't even know how long ago that's been involved. It's been several years ago. That was actually what prompted me to, to email you. As I saw that, and I just like, you know what? This guy is as genuine as I always thought he was, and I've just got to shoot him an email. We traded emails uh, quite a few times. That was – and I'm trying to – your son was doing something at the time. Uh, I want to say it was music-related, Paul, but that's, it's been so long ago now, I don't quite remember.
2: Well, my son actually made a career out of the Army, but he left the Army for three years to help me with Screaming Evil, um, And then he went back in the Army. He retired as a Master Sergeant three years ago, and his wife retired as a Captain in November. And that's wow, when no. I found out about rank. Because I said to him, well, now your wife's a Captain. You have to <laughs> obey her. And he said, no, Master Sergeant. listens <laughs> to a Captain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... So, Paul, I'm gonna I'm going go back to, uh, uh, and I don't want to keep you too much longer. we we've, we've we're, we're just rattling away here, and and Nick and I'll sit here and talk to you for two hours. But uh, looking at so understanding, you know, kind of why you decided, you know, to to get out of doing the the videos and and the devi- the, the the hunting videos. You know, if if you were going to go back. Let's just say you decided today, I want to go and make a, another hunting video. Is there anything you would change about the way you portrayed things on video? Um, and is there, I guess, is there anything you would do differently than what you did before? Or would it really just be a reboot and, and focus on the experience and trying to, trying to help new hunters? I mean... Would you do anything differently?
2: You know, I probably wouldn't, but everything we did was kind of wing it. Um, Ed, the photographer, would say something to me, and then it would just take my head and go somewhere over here. We had a lot of laughs and stuff. A lot of it didn't get filmed or put in the videos. Uh, It's just not something I would do, but if I did, I don't think I'd change anything. Um, try to make it very educational and make it humorous.
1: Well, I I have no doubt making it humorous is something that I think you would just do naturally. Um, oh yeah, it, it's just it's part of who you are.
0: <laughs> I think if you did do another one, if you ever felt the urge, that it would be very well received. <laughs> That's for sure.
2: I want to tell you guys about a new bow hunting partner I have. Okay, and he's my fishing. He's my fishing partner too, and he's my hero. And his name is Paul Battle the II, and he just got back from Afghanistan, and he's serving in the U.S. Army. He's a sergeant, airborne medic. That's my grandson.
1: Well, you know, by the way you said that, it it, it almost sounds like you're proud of him, Paul.
2: Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so, he is he is a character just like his dad and we just he told me the other day I was I was sucked into driving him up to Anchorage where his base is and I ended up having to do the Alcan Highway which I swore I'd never do again but it was really a phenomenal trip and he calls me Kane because that's part of Hawaiian for grandfather Kane you're my best friend and I'm a little shaky right now you know bringing tears to my eyes because I love that kid he's 25 he's not married and all he only wants to do is hunt and fish and jump out of airplanes
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I would say he's he's very lucky to have uh, not just a, 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 a grandfather that wants to do that with him but one that uh one that can show him uh show him a lot of uh, a lot of the tricks of the trade and it sounds like you can uh (laughs) i would love to be sitting on a stream side or a mountainside sometime watching you guys because i imagine the the experiences that you share together are are pretty priceless even for even if even to a bystander
2: well it's you're right it's it's amazing and He's, he wants to learn so much I and mean, he's a beautiful fly caster and we have a lot of fun and it's always, you know, joking and I'm better than you are. And you're better than blah, blah, and so on, <laughs> but we're pals and that's really neat.
0: That's awesome.
1: Very awesome. Well, well, Paul, I tell you what, I, I do think we've, we've managed to keep you tied up for over an hour now, and I want to be respectful of your time. I, uh, I I I just wanna wish you the, the best of luck this fall. I hope you I hope you're successful in every state. And you know, whether you are or not, I would really like for us to sit down and, and have a have a chat after the season's over with just to hear what all you experienced um this fall.
2: Well I'd love to do that and I'll tell you you're gonna have a fantastic hunt in Wyoming. And before you go if there's any advice you want about hunting muleys i've done a lot of it most of it all in wyoming and there's some really nice bucks there and a lot of them.
1: well i tell you what i will i will find some time and i will i will just email with you and figure out when's a good time for you and and yeah we'll have a We'll have a discussion, and I'll figure out how I can go about getting my hand on a pair of wooly buggers and maybe some DVDs, and we'll talk about mule deer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not letting go of that one. I'm not <laughs> too short. You, you haven't well, you heard better, the last of me. You better
0: be, you better be sharing them too. Then <laughs> maybe not the wooly buggers, but when the- are
2: you going on your mule deer hunt?
1: We are, so, uh, we will actually, we're planning on parking at a trailhead and hiking in, uh, the morning of the day before the season opens. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be in the mountains, um, and, and hunting opening day, September 1st.
2: Yeah. I was, you know, if you were going to be later, we could even arrange to meet because I'm hunting right outside of Cody, but, uh, we'll get together one of these days.
1: Man, that would that would tickle me to death. If you're ever if you're if you're ever anywhere near Georgia, let me know. And you know, if uh, we'll figure out a way to cross paths, because uh, I would I would truly love to shake your hand. I mean, I know Nick's gonna give me a hard time, and and he'll be he'll be calling me names like my daughter did. But you Are you kidding? I'm jealous as hell. You really? I, I <laughs> So I know I can speak for a lot of I know I can speak for a lot of guys, especially from from my generation. But you know I I love my dad. My dad's he he provided for me, and you know there was a lot of things he did without going down that trail. That you know he means the world to me. But you know he he was he was a tobacco farmer, and that's that was that was his life. That's what he loved. Um, and again, I can't tell you how much reading and watching what you were doing and paying attention and learning what a difference it made, you know, back when I was trying to learn how to hunt by myself, it was was, like I said, the other day on a, uh, we were having a discussion, we didn't have the internet. So it was, you know, you had to get out there and learn as best you could, but when somebody would point you in the right direction and give you a little bit of advice, it made all the difference in the world. So I'll just say for that and for, you know, my 30 some years now of bow hunting, you, you were a big part of it. And, and I really, I just have to say, thank you for, for what you did.
2: Well, thank you for saying it. That means a great deal to me.
1: And I actually bought, so I haven't, I haven't got it in the mail yet to him and I need to do that because he's waiting on it. But I actually found uh, a copy, a brand new copy of, uh, bad bucks and, or bad medicine for big bucks and whitetail encounters. And. I'm sending that to Nick in the mail, so he'll actually get to experience some of this himself, which I'm kind of excited about. So, uh, Nick, anything else you want to you want to throw out? Uh, no, Paul, it's been an
0: honor, and I can't wait to get that DVD and check it out. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're a great storyteller, and and this has been hilarious. And I haven't laughed like that in a while, and I appreciate it. And I, I wish you all the luck in the world on your hunting this year.
2: Well, thank you very, very much. And just keep in mind that uh, the campfire talk was being recorded, so I took it a little easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I guess I should have. I should. <laughs> and you've done. It's been great, Paul. It really has. I, I guess I should have told you ahead of time that there. You know, it was. Uh, we our our show is set up as being clean clean lyrics, no no explicit material. But <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't too worried about it, but, uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely want to get you back on after, after hunting season. And, and you know what, we'll, we'll do this again and who knows, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll figure out a way just to, to fly out somewhere and sit down and talk to you. That would, that would kind of be the, the icing on the cake.
2: Well, that's fine with me. I don't have a job anymore. Just have to play.
1: (laughs) I envy you. well Paul thank you again so much and uh, we're going to wrap this thing up and uh, we will be definitely talking to you real soon so thank you so much
2: you bet guys see you
0: later alright alright